One of the great things about the internet is you can find lists of all varieties and flavors. The top grossing movies of all time, for example, or the most expensive chocolate candies around the world, or how many times Navy has beaten Army out of the 122 times they met on the gridiron. 62. Or, if it's your thing, the cutest puppies in the world ever photographed. What you can also do is look up the most difficult exams in the world. Now, don't let me stop you if you want to go farther down this rabbit hole, but I did a bit of typing work on research in the internet. I say typing work because it's weird saying legwork when you haven't moved from the same spot after two hours. But I digress. I did the typing work on research in the internet on the most difficult exams in the world. There were also quite a few of those exams popping up on those most difficult lists put out by so many different people. For me, the most interesting one I found is an exam that since its inception in 1969, it has only ever had 269 people worldwide pass it. This exam is taken in three parts, and you have three consecutive years to complete these parts, and only 10% ever pass the whole examination. So for those who have passed the Master Sommelier Diploma Examination, they receive the coveted title of Master Sommelier. Now, a sommelier is a wine steward, a professional of selling, tasting, pairing, and servicing of wines. And in order to become a master sommelier, as dictated by the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas, you must pass three parts, with a third part culminating in a tasting examination. And it's scored on the candidate's verbal abilities to clearly and accurately describe six different wines, all blind tasted. Within 25 minutes, he or she must identify, where appropriate, grape varieties, country of origin, district, and appellation of origin, and vintages of the wines tasted. Now, the tests, assessments, and evaluations we as teachers and instructors may create and administer might not be to that level of difficulty, but we should always make sure that whatever we do to assess our students, we keep in mind exams like this and that we make sure the assessment has value and the assessment, what I believe is the most important characteristic, has purpose. Welcome to the Instructor's Kit Bag, an Army Logistics University podcast based out of Fort Lee, where we discuss strategies, techniques, theory, and other various and sundry topics, all pertaining to education. I am your host, Nate Ball, and let's strap on in and get to teaching and learning. When I talk about the purpose of a test or assessment, I'm not just talking about the two obvious purposes. The first obvious purpose would be, where are our students academically? Are they learning? And a second purpose, whether our lessons are covering the content they need to know. But I also think there's a third purpose. Do I want to assess them only, or do I want the assessment to continue the learning process? Now, before we continue to go further down the purposes of a test or an assessment, we need to do something we always have to do when discussing anything in education. We need to hit some basics, and we need to get our definition straight so that we are starting on the same page. Now, when we go through these, I'm going to use the U.S. Army definition so that we are consistent. However, if you're in a public school or any other educational system, know that your workplace may not use these words exactly the same way as we define it. So there, that's my caveat, and I'm sticking to it. The first thing to get out of the way is the difference between an assessment and an evaluation. Throughout the rest of this episode, I'll be talking exclusively about assessments, but I do want to note the difference between an assessment and an evaluation. To put it simply, an assessment measures the learning of an individual, like the student. An evaluation is the method in which to appraise the quality, the effectiveness, and efficiency of a program, process, product, or procedure. An evaluation provides the mechanism for decision makers to ensure the application of consistent standards of quality. In other words, an assessment focuses on the learner, and an evaluation focuses on the course and or the lessons. So now that this definition is out of the way, 
For the rest of the episode, we'll be discussing assessments and the other terms we needed to define. So as an instructor, a curriculum developer, or teacher, it is imperative we create and administer assessments. In order to do this, we need to get through the multiple types and various ways to assess our students. There are questions we need to ask, although they do not necessarily need to be asked in this order, such as, will the assessments be formative or summative? Will they be informal or formal? Will they focus on aptitude or achievement? Will they be norm-referenced or criterion-referenced? And will they be internal or external? That's a lot to sift through, so let's begin defining what formative and summative are. Now, I like to think of formative as during the learning process and summative as the end of the learning process. Formative assessments are created to help modify the teaching and learning activities to improve learner attainment. This allows feedback to the teacher to determine whether there needs to be any quick review activities, more learner-centric needs, or more clarification of a topic and implement those within the lesson or course before the end. Examples of this could be quizzes, games, group activities, exit tickets, or checks on learning. Summative assessments, being end-of-learning products, would be tests, final exams, papers, or end-of-class products or presentations. Within these two assessments, it will be important to determine whether they need to be informal or formal, or in another way, not graded or graded. Formative assessments tend to lean more towards informal methods. However, there can be graded formative assessments. In public school, one of the biggest assessments that you could consider formative and formal is the benchmark exam. At the time when I taught, it was up to the teacher's discretion on whether or not to grade the benchmark exam. And since the teacher is the one who created that exam, it measured the progress of the student throughout the year and was not a culminating end of semester or nine weeks assessment. Conversely, summative assessments lend themselves to be formal. However, there are cases to be made to have informal summative assessments. Giving practice SOL tests or allowing practice attempts on a performance-based test would be examples of these. We also need to decide if we want our assessment to be norm-referenced or criterion-referenced. Most assessments in the U.S. Army and public schools is actually criterion-referenced assessments. All this means is that the assessment measures the results to a standard of knowledge or performance. The Virginia Standards of Learning are criterion assessments, for example. Norm-reference assessments, however, compare results to the rest of the group, and it's usually measured by percentiles. There are many norm-referenced assessments, such as the ASVAB for the military or the SATs. And you can even do this as an instructor to compare where students place compared to the rest of the school or previous students or compared to the rest of the grade level. Lastly, not that this will have much bearing, but I wanted to get it out of the way for definition purposes. And that's noting the difference between internal and external assessments and then aptitude and achievement based assessments. Internal typically means an assessment created by the instructor, the department, or an entity that has created that specific course. External would be an assessment created by an organization you are not a part of and is generally graded without your involvement. Generally, all the national, state, and some local assessments would fall into this category. Now, I don't like to speak in absolutes, so I won't, but as educators, we will almost always be writing achievement-based assessments. The other option is an aptitude-based assessment, and aptitude assessments measure general knowledge in a more holistic sense. Achievement measures specific knowledge in a specific subject. The Virginia SOLs would be an achievement-based assessment, while examples of an aptitude test would be the ASVAB, the ACT, or the SAT. Okay, so now that we have our labels and definitions down, let's go through and determine some major assessments and what they should be labeled. Let's begin with the SAT. 
The SAT is an assessment as it measures the student. It is summative since it measures the culmination of studies. It is a norm-referenced assessment because it compares results to all students who take it. It is an aptitude assessment because it covers a broad range of study. It is formal because it is graded and recorded. And finally, it is external as it is administered and graded by an outside organization from the instructor. So, the SAT is an external, norm-referenced, formal aptitude summative assessment. Now, the Virginia SOLs are an assessment as it measures the student. It is summative since it measures the culmination of studies. It is a criterion-referenced assessment as it compares the results to a set standard. It is an achievement-based assessment since it measures specific topics in a specific subject. It is formal as it is graded and recorded, and it is external even though the local school administers the assessment, it is recorded and graded from an external organization. So, the Virginia SOLs are an external, criterion-referenced, formal achievement, summative assessment. Now the labels and definitions have been given and we can move on to the next episode where we can cover the structure of a test and how to incorporate Bloom's taxonomy to any assessment. But before we part, I wanted to mention a couple of interesting things about the Master Sommelier Diploma Exam. Because of the difficulty of the exam, it is not unheard of for people to spend hundreds or even thousands of hours prepping to become a Master Sommelier. It is also not unheard of for candidates to spend upwards of $10,000 just to take the exam. This is due to plane tickets or hotel accommodations, and the examination itself is quite expensive. And you don't get to just take the Master Sommelier Diploma examination without first taking the introductory, the certified, and the advanced examinations in that order. So it's no wonder less than 300 people worldwide have ever been able to call themselves Master Sommeliers since 1969. All right, and that's it for our instructor's kit bag. Again, join us for the next episode as we apply Bloom's taxonomy assessments and we discuss what other purposes we can use tests for. I'm Nate Ball and please, my fellow educators, never stop educating and never stop learning.